On today's episode of Not Your Average Boston Sports Podcast, we will be talking about the Celtics and their recent play, give you kind of an update on the uh, on the team and taking a look at what um, expectations uh, might be now, um, considering where the team is. I will also take a look at some news and notes from around the NBA. We will also talk about the Bruins. They're playing a little bit better, so we'll uh, break down for you guys how that's happening. Um, we'll give you a little bit of a preview as the trade deadline gets closer. And we'll also take a look at some news and notes from around the NHL. And on today's episode, we will have um, Eric Bellier and I uh, talking some baseball, do kind of a baseball preview uh, for the upcoming season. So really excited to get to that. Um, we will also talk about the Patriots. There's some uh, recent comments by Robert Kraft that we'll get into uh, we'll talk about uh, Jimmy Garoppolo and, you know, are the Patriots a realistic spot for him? Take a look at some news and notes from around the NFL, including some pro days um, at Alabama and Ohio State that we'll talk about. And then we will also talk about the Final Four for both the men and the women. And we will also talk about the Boston Pride, the newest uh, championship team in the city of Boston. All right, let's go. What's going on, everyone? Welcome to the program. I am your host, Garrett Hayden, and happy opening day, everyone. Uh, baseball season is officially upon us with uh, opening day uh, just a couple hours away. There are some games that will be going on. Red Sox opening day, obviously, uh, it's been delayed, so uh, opening day will be tomorrow for the Sox. Um, but we have a lot of baseball content uh, for you guys. Um, on today's episode, Eric Bellier joined me for a great interview um we'll you know talk about all different kinds of things all different storylines talk about the Sox, talk about the mets um and just all kinds of things that the uh, new season will bring so really excited to bring you guys that interview later in today's show um so as always you can follow the uh, show on twitter at not boston you can also follow the facebook page um, you can also listen on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Um, just want to say, as a note, really appreciate everyone um, listening, been noticing that the um, uh, analytics are, are looking great. A lot more people are, are downloading uh, the show, so I just want to say thank you. If you guys want to give me a rating um, on Apple Podcasts, that would be awesome. Um, or any other feedback uh, would be great, because I really would, would welcome that. Um, so without further ado, let's get into it. We are going to go talk about the Celtics first um, today. And, you know, I'll be honest, um, this is not something that I was looking forward to talking to. You know, I know that a lot of people who know me, you know, know that I try to be as optimistic as possible when, you know, I'm thinking about the the state of some of, of my favorite teams. And 
you know, honestly, it's uh, very difficult to be positive with this Celtics team right now. Um, I just, it's, it's just, it's, it's one of those things where, you know, you keep hoping that things are going to change, you know, and you kept hoping that, okay, the Celtics were, you know, not playing great defense because Marcus Smart's not in the lineup and, you know, he was out for a long period of time. Your thought was, okay. Marcus Smart comes back, gives the team a jolt, and they'll be fine. You know, that didn't happen. Um, you know, the, the All-Star break, you know, they reel off four straight wins, and you're like, okay, you know, maybe they're finding some groove. That never happened. You know, they get fans back in the garden, you know, and the trade deadline comes, and the Celtics, you know, make a couple of moves that in theory should make the team better, and nothing happens you know it's more of the same and you know I honestly as a fan and as a you know up-and-coming journalist like I I'm out of answers I'm, I'm out of answers with this team you know it's you know and we've we've had this conversation plenty of times this season that you know it's a combination of a bunch of things you know it's a combination of you know, the players and maybe they're just not up to it this season. And, you know, maybe the, the group is just not the right group and they're not gelling the way that, you know, a normal team should. And I understand that it's a difficult season. I understand that, you know, this season is a challenging season, but everyone's going through the same thing. You know, the Celtics are not the only team that's had to deal with injuries. They're not the only team that's had to deal with, you know, players being out of the lineup all the time. Um, you know, I think that a lot of the blame this season probably goes on Danny Ainge for not, you know, building the roster the way that it, you know, the, the way that it should have been. Um, you know, and I think that some of that is the moves that he's made or just players that he's brought in that just haven't worked out. You know, I think Jeff Teague is the perfect example of a player that you know he gets brought in and you're thinking okay you know he's going to be a pretty solid addition and he really never was you know and you have Tristan Thompson who you know has been a decent addition but you know he's not really been in the lineup very consistently and I know that some of the reason is, is COVID and I think that that's legit but the roster is just not built very well you know and I think that Brad Stevens definitely deserves some blame as well um, but I just think, like, as far as the motivation is concerned, you know, a coach is only going, should only have to motivate a player, should only have to motivate the players to a certain point. You know, I think that if, if, if this is a different situation with this team, let's say the Celtics are in the situation that the Minnesota Timberwolves are in, you know, that they have a number of young players, they're bad, they need the young players to, you know, get a lot of minutes to get used to the NBA game. And a coach like that, you know, needs to really motivate his players. And that's the job of really, you know, the biggest job of the coach. I think with this Celtics team, you know, and considering you have some guys on your team that, you know, are veteran or I don't want to say veteran players because, you know, the age of some of these guys, they're not veterans, but, you know, considering the experiences they've had, they kind of are, you know, you have guys like Marcus Smart, you have guys like Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum who have been through playoff battles and are more experienced than they probably should be. But 
I'm sorry. Like the coach and their motivation only should go so far. Like I think at a certain point, the players have to motivate themselves. Um, and I think Danny Ainge has made it a point to try to look for players that are self-motivated, but you know, it's just, I'm just, I, I don't know really what to think of this team, you know? And I think that maybe it's just one of those years. Maybe it's just, it's just a bad season and it's an aberration and there's nothing to it other than they're just not a good team. And they will just continue to go through the season like this, that they'll lose a couple games, they'll win a couple games, and maybe they'll, you know, make the playoffs as a six or a seven seed and, you know, put up a decent fight in the first round, but get bounced, you know? So I think as far as changes, you know, the changes at the top aren't going to happen, you know? And I think that you think about, you identify five or six players on this roster right now that you're like, okay, we want to build around this group and everyone else is fair game. And I think that there's a possibility that this offseason you could see significant player movement, you know, kind of like you saw a couple of years ago um, when they brought in Gordon Hayward and Kyrie. Or It was either that season or the season before where they only had four or five players that returned from the year before. So I think you could see something like that. I think as far as players that you need to keep, Marcus Smart, Kemba Walker, Jalen Brown, Jason Tatum, Robert Williams, and probably Fournier to an extent. Um but I just kind of out of answers with this team. And I think that what they are now is what they're going to be. And are they going to be a playoff team? I, I think so. But again, it's hard to know. Um, it just was another disappointing loss. And, you know, it's games where the Celtics put themselves in a hole, try valiantly to come back and don't do it. And, you know, and just run out of steam. But, you know, as someone wrote in the paper, like it's not really valiant anymore. You know, I think that it's pretty obvious that they're putting themselves in this hole and kind of deserve what they get, you know, and that's happened the last couple of games with, you know, Dallas last night and then the Pelicans the other night. Um, so Celtics back in action uh, tomorrow against the Rockets, another home game, you know, and that's another thing. You really thought that with all these home games and with fans back that, okay, maybe the Celtics were going to play with an extra push, but you know, it's really, really hasn't happened. Um, so I just don't really know what's next for this team, but I think you could see some significant player movement um, because it's just, it's very clear that this roster this year has not cut it. Um, so I think, you know, some of the positives, they've been a little bit, you know, <sighs> Fournier obviously was bad in his first game, you know, and that was, Obviously tough to watch. He was all right last night. You know, he took, I think he only took six shots last night, which was kind of strange um, because, you know, he's a guy that you would expect is going to score the ball a lot. But, you know, maybe he's just getting into the, the swing of things. But, you know, I think it's still a decent addition. You know, I still think that there's a good chance you could see him here past this season. Um, you know, as far as Luke Cornett and Mo Wagner, you know, I like Wagner's hustle. You know, it's not been, you know, he's not been a great player, you know, I think statistic-wise, but I think he's bringing, you know, some some hustle to the team. And Cornette, honestly, has been pretty pretty good in some of the games that he's played, you know. Um, I think that most likely he'll stay with the Celtics this season um, because the Celtics were not able to 
really find anyone in the buyout market. I don't really expect that they're going to, you know, bring in a Kelly Olynyk if he becomes available. I don't think that they're going to bring in an Otto Porter, you know, so I think that Cornette probably, you know, lasts the rest of the season. But I think that, you know, those two guys, probably a good chance that they're not with the Celtics next season. But, you know, it's it's good that at least they're playing okay, you know. But, you know, that's really the only positive I have for um, for, for this team right now, just, you know, watching the, the, the games that I've watched. Um, as far as the rest of the NBA, um, you know, things are getting pretty interesting as we enter into April and we get, you know, closer toward the playoffs. Um, you know, Andre Drummond joining the Lakers on the buyout. Um, Aldridge joining the Nets. Um, and then Blake Griffin obviously had joined the Nets a couple of weeks ago. Um, there was some news that uh, DeMarcus Cousins and the Clippers are possibly working out um, a 10-day contract. Um, and then obviously there was some not so great news about the Utah Jazz and their team flight that um, had um, hit like a flock of birds or something and you know the plane had to return to Utah so kind of a scary moment so obviously glad that you know everyone's okay in that situation um, as we take a look at the standings for the rest of the NBA the Brooklyn Nets have surpassed the uh, Sixers for first place in the East, and then Milwaukee is still third, and then you got the jumble of teams in the Eastern Conference, you know, and that's another frustrating thing for the Celtics is you have all these home games, you have an opportunity to maybe, you know, break away from some of the teams in the conference, and you're not doing it. The Celtics are stuck in eighth place still right now. Um, Charlotte is currently in fourth. Celtics will play Charlotte on Sunday, so Terry Rozier and Gordon Hayward will return to the Garden to play the Celtics. I think that Terry had played at the Garden last year, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, but Hayward will be back. Uh, the Heat are currently in fifth place, followed by the Knicks, the Hawks, and then the Celtics, and then the Pacers and the Bulls in that ninth and tenth spot. So um, it looks like now the Celtics, you know, might be involved in that play-in game um, or that play-in tournament, whatever that is. I think as when it gets closer, I think we'll have a better idea of what that entails. Um, but, you know, Celtics are, 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 are where they are. And I think that, you know, unless something crazy changes, there's a very good chance that they're going to end up with a very tough first round opponent and, uh, not sure that, not sure that they would win. Um, in the Western conference, Utah still on top of the West three games in front of the Phoenix Suns, uh, for first place. Um, the Jazz are playing uh, well again. They've won seven straight games. Um, and you have the Suns in second place. They've won four straight. And then the Clippers and the Lakers in third and fourth. Uh, the Denver Nuggets and the Portland Trailblazers are uh, breathing hard down the Lakers' back as they are just a half game back of the Lakers. Both of those teams, the Nuggets have won three straight. Portland's won four straight. Uh, Dallas is in seventh, followed by the Spurs, and then Golden State and Memphis in eighth. And in ninth. So, you know, things are interesting in the NBA. You know, I think that if you're frustrated like I am with the Celtics, maybe you want to find uh, another team to uh, hit, to hit, um, you want to hitch onto another team's wagon. That's what I was trying to say. I uh, jump on the bandwagon of another team. Uh, you know, Denver is always a fun team to watch. Uh, 
Portland's always fun, you know, with Lillard um, and just how ridiculously clutch he is. Um, you know, Dallas, you know, is a fun team to watch when they're not playing the Celtics. And, you know, Luka is just, I mean, it's he, he's preposterous. Like, it does not make sense how good he is. You know, it's, you saw a couple of threes last night where the Celtics defenders play it as well as they possibly can. And he drains a three. Like, if you saw that, I think it was in the first half where he just puts up a sidestep three like Jason Tatum does. Grant Williams plays it perfectly. He is inches away from blocking that shot. And Luka just steps back and drains a three. And it's just like, how how do you defend against that? So um, he's always just a ridiculously fun player to watch. Um, so that's probably all I got for NBA. We're going to move on to the NHL and the Bruins. Uh, things are improving slightly with the Bruins. I know that, you know, some people on uh, Bruins Twitter are not really convinced that they are uh, playing better, um, that, you know, people like to think that the sky is falling, but, you know, welcome to being a fan of New England sports. <laughs> um, but, you know, since we last met last week, the Bruins, you know, have won two of their last three, beating Buffalo on the Saturday afternoon and a close one, and then obviously losing to the Devils again. Um, and then getting that massive shootout win against the Devils on uh, Tuesday night. You know, don't look now, but the Bruins are 4-1-1 one, and one in their last uh, six games, picked up points in five of their last six. So, you know, maybe they're starting to figure things out a little bit. Um, you know, obviously after that first Buffalo game two weeks ago, um, we're off for a whole week because of, uh, because COVID had, um, uh, postponed a couple of games. So they had the week off, lost that overtime game to the Islanders and, you know, won two of their last three, one in the shootout. So, you know, it's, I think, I think there are small things that are happening. You know, I think that the Bruins are starting to get a little bit of secondary scoring. You're starting to see, you know, Craig Smith, Nick Ritchie, um, some of the third line guys getting involved a little bit. Um, you know, and I think that for a lot of it, it's not always goal scoring. I know the Bruins really need it right now, but, you know, I think that just seeing the, the jump in Anders Bjork's game has been great to see. You know, I think that, Again, he's a guy that I think our evaluation of him, you know, needs to needs to change a little bit. Um, I think that again, you know, the Bruins pick him up a couple of years ago with the idea that he's going to be a goal scorer and is going to help out the team. But I think they've realized that that's, you know, not really what he's shown them. But he has shown them, you know, the ability to be an outstanding forechecker, to be a good penalty killer. And a guy who can use his speed and, you know, create chances. So it was good to see him. He was really involved in that um, in that game on Tuesday night. Um, and the Bruins got some goals, you know, got some goals at five on five. You know, Nick Ritchie put in another goal. And it's good to see that he has uh, performed the way that he has. You know, I think that he is maybe third or fourth on the Bruins in goals. Um, probably fourth if he's behind uh, the, the top line. But... You know, he's been a pleasant surprise this season. You know, I think that if he if he is not producing the way that he's been producing, the Bruins uh, could be in a lot worse shape. Um, so, 
again, you know, it's just got to continue. It's got to get, got to continue. The legs have to be there. You know, the chances have to be there and you got to capitalize too. You know, it's great to see that Brad Marchand was able to, you know, make an impact in his, in his first game back after missing a couple games, um, you know, getting in the, that skirmish and scoring a power play goal and, you know, really trying to get the team going. And I think it really helped, but, you know, I think as Bruce Cassidy pointed out the other day, um, you know, you're not always going to be able to have an opportunity like that, that, you know, there are other guys that kind of need to manufacture their own energy that, you know, you don't need to see a big, you don't need to necessarily like wait for a big play from a leader to happen is like, you kind of need to take it upon yourself. And I think that a lot of the Bruins young guys are learning, you know, and are learning that, you know, they need to, you know, initiate that instead of waiting for someone else to do it. But, you know, hey, Brad does what he does and, you know, has time and time again proven to elevate the team. And, you know, it was just great to see Bruins get some goals, tie the game, finally win a shootout, which was good to see. Uh, Charlie Coyle, uh, I've never seen him move like that before. That was crazy. Um, And then, you know, David Postrak just doing what he does best, being a goal scorer. Um, So I really hope the Bruins can continue this because they have two gigantic, gigantic games against the Pittsburgh Penguins tonight and then Saturday afternoon that if the Bruins take four points out of these games, they they could be right back in like the conversation for winning the division. You know, if you look at the standings and what they are right now, I'll take a quick look um, at the East division. You know, they are you know, at the moment, they're seven points back of Pittsburgh and the Islanders, nine back of Washington. But if the Bruins get four points out of this weekend, you know, they could be a lot closer. They could be within three points, you know, if they're able to pick up two regulation wins. Um, so it's a really huge two games for the Bruins. I think that, you know, they got to continue bringing that energy and, you know, bringing that focus and playing at a high level. It's good to see that they were able to you know, get over the hump and beat the Devils. I know it was in a shootout, but, you know, at this point in the season, points are at a premium and you'll take it. So, you know, it'll be interesting to see what they bring tonight. Dan Vladar will get the start tonight. Uh, Halak was, you know, I think he was as good as you could expect him to be on Tuesday night. The Bruins made a lot of defensive errors. Um, and I think that, you know, games like that are going to happen. But I think that, it was great that they were able to pick up a win and pick up, you know, the energy to be able to tie the game and then win the game. You know, I think that a lot of people were concerned at the beginning of the season that the Bruins were going to not be very good defensively and you were going to see a lot of games like you saw Tuesday night. But, you know, honestly, that was the first time in a very long time that I've seen the Bruins be bad defensively and make a lot of really bad mistakes, but they're going to happen. You know, and I think that the Bruins front office made the decision that this is what they're going to ride with. They're going to ride with the young guys. They're going to ride with the growing pains, and that's what it's going to be. Um, you know, I'm not going to sit here and talk about Chara because uh, get over it. I'm not going to talk about it anymore. Um, it's just as simple as that. I don't understand why people are continuing to complain about this. And it's like, look, for the very last time, you know, the, the Bruins made it clear that they're going to ride with young defensemen. Now, should the Bruins have necessarily told that to Chara? Probably not. 
you know, and if people want to be upset about that, that's fair. But it's like, will you stop it with the, oh, you know, they'd be a better team if Char was on the ice, not these young guys. It's like, you really think Char is going to help the secondary scoring? You know, that's just, that. that's all I'm going to say about that. Um, there was also some news earlier, uh, speaking of defensemen, a couple days ago, the Flyers put Shane Goss to spare on waivers, which was, you know, interesting, but not really to some people because he's really struggled um, the last couple of years as, you know, no longer really an elite young defenseman. I mean, I think if you've looked at the numbers he's put up the last couple of years, it's not, it's, it's not great. You know, obviously there's potential there. He's a very solid, you know, offensive defenseman, but he's not really a great defensive player. And, you know, he's still due four and a half million over the next, you know, two years after this season. So, you know, I think that some people thought it would have been a good idea for the Bruins, you know, just to get some new blood in there, get someone in there that can be a, a player that can maybe drive offense a little bit. But, you know, yikes, if you've looked at his last couple years in the league, um, you know, 17-18, we will look at his third season in the league, put up 65 points, which is ridiculous for a defenseman. That is ridiculous. He put up 52 assists that season. You know, follows it up the next season, put up 37 points in 78 games, which isn't bad. You know, in his very first season, he put up 46 points, then 39. So 37 points, you know, is pretty on par for the rest of, for the, for the other years of his career. But then if you look at him playing in 20, in 1920, so last season, 42 games, 12 points, and then has 11 points in 25 games this season. So, you know, I think that, you know, the points have gone down, you know, and he's never been, he's never been an outstanding defensive player. You know, that's never really been his MO, but I think there are some pretty serious deficiencies with his game. And, you know, you look at that cap hit, four and a half million, which, you know, for a guy that got sent down to AHL last year for a couple games, uh, that's too much money, you know. And I think unless the Bruins got something done with the Flyers to make them eat salary, I, I would stay away from that, you know. I think that there probably are better options for them out there, and I think that that's what they're going to look at as the deadline comes closer. But I think that their first priority should be getting another goal-scoring wing. Um, defensively, sure, if you want to make that a priority, but I think that you need to get someone to help your secondary scoring because what you have right now is not good enough, and it's not been performing at a consistent at a consistent clip. So if they're looking at someone like Kyle Palmieri, I would be pretty happy because he's killed the Bruins this season. I think he has five goals in six games against them. Um, Taylor Hall, I wouldn't be too upset if they looked at him. Just the price has to be reasonable, I think. Um, you know, he's a guy that definitely has underperformed this season, but, you know, he went to play in Buffalo. It's hard to expect that he's going to light the world on fire considering how bad they've been this season. They did just snap their 18-game losing streak last night um, against the Flyers, so good for them. But he's another player that they should look at. You know, I know a lot of people in the early part of the season were like, okay, you know, Nashville's kind of not been good this season. You know, could the Bruins look into them? But Nashville's in a playoff spot right now. I don't really think that they're going to be, you know, making any type of moves unless, you know, they go back to being bad over the next couple of weeks. 
you know, they might actually be buyers at the deadline, you know, if they continue to play the way that they're playing. Um, so it'll be interesting to see, you know, I think the Bruins are always a team that they sometimes try to look at deals before the deadline. So, you know, if the Bruins make a trade in the next week, do not be surprised. Um, so I think looking at the rest of the NHL, looking at the standings or looking at any news, you know, obviously Buffalo with their first win um, in or their first win after losing 18 straight games. Um, Thatcher Demko also got a five-year deal from Vancouver uh, yesterday, so that was kind of interesting. The uh, Panthers bringing in Spencer Knight on an entry-level contract was kind of interesting. Um, you know, it'll be curious to see what their future looks like with their goaltending with, you know, Bobrovsky also obviously under contract for the next for uh, the foreseeable future. Um, but, you know, to be curious to see how much Spencer Knight does play, you know, if he ends up being the backup next season or, you know, does he even get some, some looks this season? Um, you know, really no other news. I mean, Colorado scored nine times last night, um, against Arizona. So looking at the standings, we'll start with the central, uh, Tampa Bay and Florida, you know, as we mentioned, atop the central with 50 points each. Carolina's right behind them with 49 points. Um, you know, that division is going to be a lot of fun to watch. And speaking of Nashville, you know, the team that people thought were going to be sellers, they won six straight games and they won eight out of 10, you know, and they are now, you know, tied for that final playoff spot in the central with the Chicago Blackhawks. You have Columbus. They are three points back. It's worth keeping an eye on Dallas because they have four games in hand on uh, Nashville, and they're seven points back. So, you know, you do the math, four wins gets them 38 points. Or excuse me, four wins gets them 40 points, and they would, that would put them ahead of Nashville. So uh, definitely keep an eye on Dallas just to see if, you know, they get hot at any point. Um, but, you know, great. Again, I think it's fantastic seeing Tampa Bay, Florida, and Carolina doing well. You know, the hockey markets that you know, are not traditional hockey markets. I know some would argue with me about Tampa Bay um, and Carolina, but I think good to see, you know, those teams on top and good to see Florida, you know, playing at a good clip. Um, in the West, Colorado is now atop the West, a point ahead of Vegas, six points ahead of Minnesota, and St. Louis has uh, really fallen off. They have only won two games in regulation in their last 10. Um, they are just a point ahead of fifth place Arizona for the last playoff spot there. So, uh, Colorado, uh, unbeaten, actually, in their last 10, or, well, unbeaten in regulation, I should say. So they are starting to pick it up a little bit. It really looked like Vegas was running away with this division at the beginning, but Colorado has definitely uh, figured it out. And then, obviously, in the East, you got uh, Washington in first with 50 points, one of four teams with 50 points right now. Um I so said Washington, you know, continues to play well. Uh, the Islanders continue to play great. And the Pittsburgh Penguins, who come into the Garden tonight, uh, seven wins in their last ten, four straight wins, eight games in eight of their last ten, they have gotten points. Um, so they have, been, they have been playing at a really, really good clip. Um, and then the Bruins in the fourth spot in the East, you know, a pretty healthy advantage over Philadelphia and the Rangers. Bruins are have three games in hand on both of those teams. 
um, you know, due to, I think, the COVID postponements. Um, so obviously the point total between them and the Flyers looks close. But if you look at the games in hand, you know, the Bruins have three of them. So in all likelihood, the Bruins probably will be fine. But, you know, you look at the games in hand they got on Pittsburgh. They have four games in hand on them, you know, and they play two this weekend or in two games in the next in the next three days. You know, if the Bruins win both of those, you know, the games in hand aren't going to change. So, you know, the Bruins really could help themselves with some wins against the pink, the wins against the Penguins um, in the next few days. You know, the Rangers are playing a lot better than they did at the beginning of the season, you know, 6-3-1 and one in their last 10. But, you know, I think with the games in hand, it just looks very difficult for them or Philadelphia to be able to jump the Bruins. But definitely keep an eye on them um, because they are playing some good hockey. In the North, Toronto is still atop the North Division, but Winnipeg and Edmonton have been playing pretty well, you know, over the last couple of weeks. You know, so things are fairly close in that top three. Uh, Montreal is hanging on to that last playoff spot, but similar to the Bruins, they have a ton of games in hand on Calgary and Vancouver. So, you know, in all likelihood, that probably won't change. Um, So, you know, that probably does it for our NHL a uh, little segment there. I'm going to get to some quick NFL talk about the Patriots. Uh, Robert Kraft spoke to media members yesterday, I think. You know, had some kind of interesting things today, or interesting things to say um, as we talk about that today. Um, you know, some of the comments that maybe the Patriots have not done the greatest job drafting in the last couple of years, which, you know, I don't think I'm going to contest. You know, I think that. Certainly some of the drafts have not gone as well as they should have. You know, some players have not panned out, you know, and maybe they've overdrafted certain guys. I think that's fair. You know, I think that a lot of other teams have done that as well. You know, drafting is not an exact science. Um, But I think, you know, looking at kind of the the player pool that the Patriots were looking at in the last couple of years, you know, I think it's a little bit part of the reason why they went out and, you know, addressed the team in free agency and spent all that money. I think, you know, the drafting has a little bit to do with it that, you know, you would hope that you wouldn't need to spend that much money, you know, that you could rely on some of your young guys. Not to say that they don't draft well at all, because they do have some good young players that I think are going to be tremendous players. Chase Winovich, uh, Josh Josh Uche, Kyle Duggar, you know, some of those defensive players. Uh, Damian Harris, you know, I think as well. But they've certainly missed on some guys, too. So I think that, you know, fair point that uh, Kraft makes. You know, he also, you know, said a lot of positive things about Cam Newton, which I think is good. You know, Cam's well-liked in the room, well-liked by the team and the coaching staff. So, you know, I think that that's good to hear. You know, I think that he has some, you know, I don't know if concerns is the right word, but maybe concerns about the stability or the trying to get that quarterback position to be solidified. Because I think right now they think that they don't have it solidified, you know. And does that change? Does that change with a trade for Garoppolo? I don't think that's going to happen. I don't think it should happen, you know, if I'm being perfectly honest. You know, I think that Garoppolo is 30 years old. He's making over $25 million for the next two years. He's missed 23 games in the last three seasons. You know, if you look at a 16-game schedule, you know, 48 games, he's missed 23 you know, that's almost half the games over the last two years. So, 
you know, and yeah, you know, he did lead, did lead a team to the Super Bowl. That's nothing to sneeze at, but I just think if you're thinking about a quarterback for the future, whatever, like, I don't know, wouldn't you want to invest in a young quarterback who likely is not going to be making a lot of money on his rookie deal, you know, is not, does not have an injury history, you know, isn't 30 years old. And, you know, I just think that Garoppolo was good here. You know, I'm not going to say that he's a bad player or anything like that, but I think that looking at it from a money standpoint, I mean, wouldn't you rather bring in a young, talented kid on a rookie contract rather than bringing in, you know, a dude who's 30 years old, has an injury history, and is due to make a lot of money in the next two years? So, you know, I think the best best scenario for the Patriots is to trade up in the draft or see if someone falls to them. You know, investing in a Trey Lance or a Justin Fields if they can. You know, a Mac Jones maybe, you know. I think that, you know, worst case scenario, the Patriots have to draft a guy in the mid-round, you know, like a Kellen Mond. And, you know, he's a little bit more of a project. And you have, you know, Cam Newton play for play next year and, you know, see how he develops. You know, what I think should happen is the Patriots should trade up, try to see if they can get Justin Fields. If they can't, you know, get a Trey Lance, have them, you know, develop a year under Cam Newton or if they surprise and take the job, then, you know, that's great. You know, if they don't, I think that Cam Newton can rebound and have a solid season with this better group of offensive players. Um, so, you know, I think that there still are a lot of a lot of questions, but I do think that this team is going to be a lot better, you know, regardless of who the quarterback is. I think that they will be a lot better this season um, and probably be a playoff team. So, I think definitely some interesting thoughts. Um, some other notes from around the league. There are um, some proposed rule changes and uh, jersey number changes that uh, could get some people excited that um, they might be allowing uh, posi- or pos- skill position players or players to uh, be able to wear single-digit numbers. So, you know, if you like college football and you like that stuff, you will definitely like this proposed rule change. Uh, that will be very interesting. Um, there were um, some some pro days that were going on. Um, Ohio State and Alabama, obviously, I think the Patriots were at, uh, well, most notably, uh, Bill Belichick and um, Josh McDaniels were at the Alabama workout, saw Mac Jones throw the ball. So, And then I think they also had someone that was at um, the Ohio State one saw Justin Fields put on a good performance. I will just say, though, again, and I've probably said, I don't know if I've said this before, but be very wary of, you know, reports that come out of the the pro days. You know, I think that especially the 40 times, they can, the, the, the numbers can be juiced, as they say. You know, I don't know if I really trust that Justin Fields ran a 4.4440. You know, maybe I shouldn't say it like that, but there were some other, like, players where their 40 times came out, and it's like, oh, you know, 4.4, and it's like, I don't know if that's really totally accurate. Um, You know, Fields, I think I can believe, you know, is like the fastest 40 since Robert Griffin III for quarterbacks. Um, But yeah, I think just be aware that stuff like that can happen, and also, you know, guys throwing the ball and making amazing throws, those are great, and those are amazing, but 
they are making those throws with, you know, no defense, you know, no weather conditions, like nothing like that. So, you know, you know, take the take the workouts with a grain of salt, I would say. Um, you know, not a whole lot of football news, but, you know, we will be getting closer to the draft. Um, and I think that, you know, the Patriots will have a tremendous opportunity uh, to upgrade at that at that quarterback position, you know, assuming that they can trade up. You know, I think that that's the most likely scenario that you're going to see. Um, I don't really think that they're going to be trading players, you know, like Gilmore. You know, it was interesting. There was that news a couple days ago that, you know, he'd be open to re-signing him, uh, which I think I would be too. I think that it would make a lot of sense. Um, but I wouldn't think that he would be traded, especially with a year left on his contract. I just don't see that happening. Um, so if the Patriots do trade up, it's going to be picks probably from this draft, maybe next draft. I think I would like to avoid next draft, but you got to do what you got to do. I think that you have an opportunity to get a, you know, quarterback of the future. So I think you go and do it. So um, that's probably it for NFL. We're going to get to uh, some NWHL. Obviously, we mentioned that the uh, championship. Uh, no, not the, the championship semifinals. Wow, that took a minute. Um, that you saw the championship semifinals for the NWHL, or just the semifinals. I don't know why I'm having trouble with this. Um, the Pride and uh, the Toronto Six played each other in the semis. Uh, Pride won fairly easily. Um, then you had Minnesota beating Connecticut fairly easily as well. And then you had the championship on Saturday night, which was a tremendous game. Um, you know, getting that exposure for the league on NBCSN was fantastic. You know, the play-by-play team um, of Kate Scott and uh, AJ Malesko, tremendous. Um, Kaylee Chelios with the uh, rinkside, I almost said sideline, I always do that. Uh, having the ringside reports, fantastic. I really thought that just the presentation of that event was just awesome. You know, I think that they really did a tremendous job, and you really hope that you see more of these games on TV because I think that the biggest thing for people is you want to make these games as accessible as you can. Putting them on NBCSN, you know, putting them on TV, not putting them on Twitch where... You know, obviously for some people it's easy, but I think like you want to see them on TV and you want to see these games where, you know, people can have easy access to watch these games because they're tremendous games. The championship was really exciting. Boston was able to get it done. The uh, latest latest uh, championship to the uh, parade of champions in Boston. So uh, great stuff from those women. They were tremendous. That was a really fun game to watch. You know, I caught bits and pieces. There were... Uh, various other things going on in TV. So I tried to watch as much of it as I could. So uh, kudos to the team. Paul Mara, fantastic job as a head coach. Um, Jillian Dempsey, MVP. So uh, really just a fantastic weekend for the NWHL. So uh, it was a really, ple- uh, really a pleasure to be able to watch, um, to watch them again, you know, after the uh, COVID had to, sh- or after COVID shut down the, uh, back to play a couple months ago when they were playing in Lake Placid. So uh, great that they were able to get it done, that they were able to, you know, get through, you know, playing the rest of the season and good on the pride. So congrats again. Um, 
And so before we go to our uh, baseball interview, we will talk some men's and women's Final Four. Um, so for the men on Saturday, the uh, or actually no, I think the women are first um, on Friday. So South Carolina and Stanford will match up um, at the Alamo Dome in San Antonio. So South Carolina um, and Stanford, two fantastic coaches, uh, Tara Vanderveer and um, Don Staley. This is going to be a fun game. You know, I really think this is going to be a toss-up. I think it's going to be a tremendous game. Um, and then UConn and Arizona in the late game. You know, UConn with the win against Baylor. It was a uh, heavily contested um thanks to a non-call you know late in the game so um UConn is there Paige Beckers has been playing outstanding in the tournament um UConn takes on surprising Arizona so that will be an interesting game to watch both of those games Friday night at 6 South Carolina and Stanford and then UConn and Arizona at 9 30 championship will be on Sunday I think not sure what time, but definitely, you know, tune into that. Um, but yeah, definitely pay attention to that. And then with the men, you have uh, the two semifinal games on Saturday at 5.15 on Saturday evening. You got Houston against Baylor. So uh, Baylor really has not been terribly challenged in this tournament. You know, I think that They've been one of the, you know, I think they and Gonzaga have been the best two teams in the tournament. You know, Houston has been pretty good. You know, they can come at you really strongly defensively. You know, they're a really solid defensive group. Um, and they have some guys who can who can play really outstanding offensive basketball. Dejan Giroux has had a great tournament. Uh, Quentin Grimes, the transfer from Kansas, has had a good tournament. So, you know, not an easy game for Baylor. I think that if they're not careful, they could absolutely lose this game. Um, and then UCLA and Gonzaga at 8.30. Gonzaga has really not had much of a challenge um, in any games that they've played in the tournament. I don't think it's going to be any different. You know, I just, I don't think UCLA can score enough uh, to beat Gonzaga. So, you know, great run for them. Great story. First four to the final four, but... I think that that story comes to an end Saturday night, and I think most likely you're going to see UCLA or uh, you're going to see Gonzaga and Baylor um, in the championship. Um, so that probably does it. We are going to get to Eric's interview, and now we would like to uh, welcome in our resident baseball guy, if you will, Eric Bellier. Uh, Eric, how's it going? Good. Hey, excited. Opening day is tomorrow night. Um, lots of stuff still going on, a lot of moving parts. It's going to be a fun baseball season. Having the 162 back is huge, and it's going to be a fun year for sure. Yeah, absolutely. So um, fully, you know, talking baseball, I'm, I'm looking forward to the season. You know, me, I'm not, you know, the biggest baseball person, but, you know, I don't know. There's something about this season that I'm, I'm looking forward to, you know, just – league wise and then just with the Red Sox just curious you know what that's going to look like um so I guess just to start Eric what are some like storylines that you're really excited for for this season yeah so the 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 big one is is what's going to happen in in California because listen as good as the Dodgers are you know bringing in Trevor Bauer 
um, making all these signings and whatnot, they they have competition now, uh, and and it's really a two dog race in that division, which we'll talk about. Um, but San Diego's really really good. Um, they have Tatis. Um, they made all the moves, acquiring Blake Snell, Yu Darvish, Joe Musgrove. You know, AJ Preller is a genius. I give him a lot of credit for going over there and building this the right way. Um, it's going to be fun. Um, I think that the competition is really going to be there, there. And, you know, the American League East, too, you know, I, I, I think that the Yankees win the division, which we'll talk about, but the, the Blue Jays are getting all this hype and, and, you know, the young bats and George Springer and this and that, let's see what they can do with it now. You know, talking's over, you know, that's, what's so fun. Starting tomorrow, you shut up and you play. Um, so you mentioned the American League East. I feel like last year we had Tampa Bay and, you know, we knew that they were a good team all year long, but it kind of seemed like they surprised everyone by going to the world series. Yep. Um, and is there is is there a team that you feel like could do exactly what they did last year? Have a good so, regular season and then just kind of rip through the playoffs? Yeah, I mean the potential's always there. Um right. I'm not going to sit here and say Kansas City is going to go to the World Series or even make the playoffs. But they're a team that's sneaky good this year. Mm-hmm. Um similar to the Rays, not a big name, you know, there's not necessarily that huge ginormous name there. Yeah. Um, I mean, Whit Merrifield's one of the best hitters in baseball, but you know, you have a good core of young, talented hitters with a with a decent pitching staff, and they're going as time goes on. They're going to consistently get better. And and Kansas City's a team that you know the eyes that people need to keep their eyes on because outside of Minnesota, um, in that division, it's a pretty quiet division, especially with uh, Cincinnati, uh, not Cincinnati, Cleveland, making all these moves. So this is going to be a team that could surprise some people, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, what, what about the White Sox in that division? Are they? Yeah. Think oh, about right. Them? Chicago too. Duh. Yeah, no, they made, they, they're trying to build off last year. Um, but again, it's very, it's very, very hard for me to sit here and, and judge last season for going into this year. Right, because everybody was was on me with the Mets. Oh, Pete Alonso's not hitting well. His 162 projections also still had him hitting 100, uh, hitting 45 homers. So I mean, with the White Sox and the Twins there, you know, and the potential of the expanded playoff, they could um, the the Royals can still make noise. But the weird thing with the White Sox is that all the talents there, you know, with with the pitching, they brought in Liam Hendricks to be the back end, be the closer. Uh, Giolito was great last year. They have guys coming up the pipe, but they just lost Eloy for till at least September, um, tearing his pec trying to make a trying to rob a home run in spring training, and then they lost um, James McCann signing with the Mets. So you know you lose. I think people really underestimate how important a catcher is to a team, mm-hmm. and 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 a guy that has really been proving. Uh, but that has really been improving the last couple of years and, 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 and was a backbone of that White Sox team was James McCann. So outside of the White Sox and twins, it's a, it's a top, very top heavy, uh, top heavy division. Um, so obviously, you know, the obvious is, you know, we're back to an 162 game season as opposed to playing 60 games last year. Do you think there's some teams that could be helped 
or hurt by like the longer schedule or like are there teams that you felt overachieved last year just because they played 60 games yeah well Tampa Bay is a team that always needs everything to go right and it just so happened that over the the span of three four years everything has consistently began to go right more and more um and last year we saw that right Mm -hmm. um they are a team that can be hurt by this um didn't really make noise in the um, offseason. Lost Charlie Morton. Um, was in on Marcelo Zuna, who went back to Atlanta. Um, brought Chris Archer back, which I don't know what that's going to do much for them. They're a team, though, that just pulls things out of nowhere where they could just come in and, and make moves and, and, and pitch guys. But that also came back to bite them in the butt last year with pulling um, – Blake Snell in the, uh, in, in the, in the world series game. So it's like, where do you draw that line? You know, you're relying on a young group of guys like Randy or Rosarena to make big time moves. You have the starting pitching um, in glass now, but you're looking at rich Hill and Michael Walker at the back end. It's going to be very, very tough for them. And, and, and they're relying on, you know, guys like G man Choi and Brandon Lau guys to come back and, and play to the level they did last year. You know, not discrediting the Marlins, but the Marlins made the playoffs last year. That says a lot. You know what I mean? Where you go into a 162 season with a stacked division, similar to the, you know, to the, to the AL East, it's hard. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so we had talked right before we start right off air, um, and you were talking about Lindor for the Mets. They have till, what is it, tonight to... Yeah, the, the deadline's tomorrow. Okay. Um, which I guess they could go up to he reports. I don't know. I know that once opening day hits, yeah. they don't talk till after the season. What um, if, if the Mets do indeed get a deal done, what do you think it looks like? So right now the Mets are at 10 for 325. Um, okay. He wants 12 for 385, um, which for longer years, you know, the two extra years, I guess, are, are – are scary to some for them, but mm. the a- average annual value is, is actually less if you go um, 12 years. I think they're going to end up meeting in the middle with like either 11 for 350 or like 11 for 365. Mm-hmm. Um, no deferred payments. Y- you know, you trade your starting shortstop now and your uh, a top 100 prospect and that could be your shortstop of the future who played well last year during a shortened season and two, you know, higher end prospects. You're not trading that for a year of Lindor. So I think one of these guys are going to budge um, as it hits noon now on Wednesday, it's going to be tough. You know, I, I saw something that, that that's kind of going unnoticed and, and you know, who Scott Boris is well enough. And, and if this was him, he'd be, wanting people would be wanting his head on a stick right now but his agent whose name is Lindor's agent who's escaping me screwed up Craig Kimbrell's contract and Ozzy Albies and he's potentially screwing up Francisco Lindor's Lindor's not going to get money anywhere near 385 coming into free agency next year sure. um I, I because you have a great group of, of shortstops coming out including Trevor Story so they have to I think they're going to come to a conclusion and say, all right, here's what we have to do. And I, 
I hope there's reports that um, they're saying that they're at a stalemate. There's people that I'm talking to that, that um, are saying that they're still in serious conversations and could get a deal done. So we'll see, you know, it's a matter of, of letting this unfold um, sure. and not having everybody flip out. I think people forget though, you know, Met, the Mets have a top 15 player in the game for at least a year and a team around them that can make some noise. So at least there's a lot to look forward to besides just a contract extension. Of course we want an extension done, but. So looking, looking at this season and um, it was interesting that you had mentioned the expanded playoffs. Is that, is that something that they're doing this year? Are they going back to the two wildcard teams? So, so the, the guys are kind of the players union and the, and the, um, MLB have been going back and forth for a while. And we saw it um, with, with last year with the universal DH and the runner on second base and blah, blah, blah. But they've come to the conclusion that, you know, the CB, the, the, the players association and major league baseball have basically been negotiating up until this point um, to bring at least the DH or the expanded playoffs back. Um, they are going back to the two wild card format that they had prior to the pandemic. Sure. Um, but other than that, as of right now, it's staying where it is with, mm-hmm. with what we had pre COVID. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I think the DH looming over the national, some of the national league teams affected how guys got paid. I mean, I think if they announced that the, that the, uh, Universal DH are going to come back. Jackie Bradley Jr. would Jr. would have gotten a lot more money. Sure. Um, you know, guys that would want like Marcelo Zuna is not an outfielder. He, right. He's terrible defensively. You know, same thing with guys like Dom Smith and you know got other guys in the National League. You know, you want them to hit. Like you don't need Justin Turner playing third base. Just let him hit. Yeah. Same thing here, where you know it, it was looming, and they ended up going back to the same playoff spot uh, format that they had pre-pandemic. So looking at looking at some teams this season and and players, who do you think are some teams that um, are going to underperform this year? So I, I think you know I mentioned Toronto. Um, Toronto can't control injuries, obviously, but you sign Kirby Yates to be your closer, and he has to have Tommy John surgery um, before we even hit opening day. Um, I don't know what, I don't know exactly what the deal is with George Springer. Um, I know he had something wrong with his oblique, but he's listed his day to day for now. Mm-hmm. So I think Toronto is definitely one of them. Um, another one of them that I think a lot of people are really overlooking is what are the nationals. I don't think the nationals, you know, outside of, uh, you know, the, the big three in the rotation with Scherzer, um, Corbin and Strasburg, you don't have a back end at all. Um, the bullpen's terrible. Uh, you know, you have some bats, don't get me wrong. I mean, Juan Soto is one of the most exciting players in the game. Mm-hmm. Um, but you're, you're relying on guys like Starlin Castro, Josh Harrison, and aging Ryan Zimmerman, uh, Jan Gomes behind the plate. Guys that not necessarily aren't uh, offensive oriented players. Right. And I think the opportunity there, you know, I think their, their window is shut now. They won in 19. And I think, I think that's it. Yeah. Yeah. I definitely agree with that. Um, I think, I think the Cubs might be one of those teams as well. Yeah. The Cubs, you know, 
going into this offseason, you know, a lot of owners and organizations were crying broke per se. Um, John Henry being one of them. Um, the Ricketts, the guys that own the uh, Cubs are another one. Yeah. Um, there were talks about trading Chris Bryant because they know they're not going to be able to sign him. Uh, they offered a, a laughable, I think, like $48 million extension to Rizzo um, last week, which is laughable. Yeah. Um, you know, they traded Darvish. They traded Carantini. Javi Baez is a big strikeout guy. Um, and as exciting as he is defensively, when he's on, he's on. But when he's off, boy, is he off. Yeah. You know, so and the only thing that might be their saving grace is a um, – a, a, a decently easy NL central yeah. um, because even though, yeah, the Cardinals, you know, brought in Arenado and, mm-hmm. and the, but the pirates are God awful and the reds are, are regressing. So, you know, the, the Cubs could be saved by a weakish division, but I think that they're not going to play well at all. I agree with you. Is there, is there a team in that division you think that could take advantage of, the poor division. I mean, other than the Cardinals. Well, well I, I think it's, I, I think it's, you know, St. Louis's division to lose really. Sure. Um, I just think, you know, can that, that's each, you know, sure. Each team has, has all their question marks, right. but at the same time, you know, this team also has um, a lot of question marks with their pitching because you don't necessarily know, you know, how long can you hold on to, um, Adam Wainwright, Carlos Martinez, but Milwaukee had a quiet off season in a sense of, you know, nothing big named, but like, I think people forget Christian Yelich exists because he had yeah. a down year last year. Yeah. Um, you bring in Jackie Bradley so you can move Lorenzo Cain to a corner outfield spot. Um, you, you bring in Colton Wong who's one of the best defensive middle infielders in the game. Um, you have Josh Hader, you have a good back end of the bullpen. As long as the pitching stays healthy for M- Milwaukee, it could be Milwaukee and, and St. Louis. Yeah, I think that would be very, um, very interesting in that yeah. division. Um, you know, I also think Houston's a very interesting team yeah. that, like, yeah. you know, pitching the bullpen, especially, you never know what you're going to get, but yep. they can hit. And it's like, uh, I don't know, there's such an, a weird, like, enigma, I guess. Yeah, and, you know, the big thing is is that now you went from having that mega rotation of, of Verlander, Cole, uh, Greinke, yeah, Musgrove, whoever. Now it's just Musgrove and Greinke. Uh Verlander's hurt. You know, mm-hmm. they're hoping that he could come back this year. He had Tommy John, but I sure. doubt it. Um, he'll be good to go next year. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, but – Ever since the sign stealing scandal, everybody's regressed. Besides Bregman, you know Bregman. Bregman's legit. Yeah. Correa hasn't been playing well. Altuve hasn't been playing well. Mm-hmm. Um, but then you just have guys that are just like professional hitters, like Yuli Gurriel playing first is very very good. Yeah. Um, Michael Brantley can hit you two eight anywhere from two eighty every year with his eyes closed. Yeah. He's just one of those players that you know what you're going to get. Mm-hmm. So with them. It's just tough because everybody in the AL West, you know, Oakland kind of regressed in a sense, um, losing some guys and, and Jed La- losing Marcus Simeon and not necessarily address you, you, you lost Liam Hendricks as well. 
um, bringing in Trevor Rosenthal, but that's a downgrade there. Um, you know, you're relying on a lot of young pitching to get them through this year, and pitching is, hasn't been their strength the last couple of years. So it's going to be – it's one of those situations where Houston can win that division by, you know, just playing the way they normally play because the, the A's didn't add that much, and I don't understand why the Angels are afraid to add legit started pitching. It just makes no sense. You have the best player probably ever in Mike Trout. You know, you have Anthony Rendon, who's, who's a top third baseman in baseball. Um, Otani, sure, whoever. But, you know, you have a good young offensive team. You just don't add pitching. It does. It makes no sense. It makes none. You have the best player in the world there, and you're wasting away his career. Yeah, that, that I mean, that will be something interesting to pay attention to. Um, this season, you know, how Trout performs. I mean, like, again, he's a guy that you know exactly you're going to get. You know exactly you're going to get an MVP-level season. It's just a question of, you know, what they can do around him. And everywhere – right. And everywhere Joe Madden has gone, he's been successful because of his pitching. Right. You know, when he was with Chicago, when he won the World Series, Mm -hmm. you had a great bullpen and you had Jake Arrieta, you had uh, John Lester. You go down the list of guys, right? Right. This, this team is legit, and it's, you know, the, the, even in Tampa Bay, when he went to the World Series in 08, James Shields, uh, Scott Casimir, uh, mm-hmm. Matt Garza, you know, they had some of the best pit, big game James Shields. The guy was one of the best pitchers in the American League. Right. Um, they always had somebody, and to go mm-hmm. to L.A. and have, you know, Dylan Bundy, okay, you know, great. Sure. He, he, he goes to a good team. He's not even in the starting rotation, mm-hmm. you know, so so it's like, I don't understand why they're afraid to add pitching. That's just me. Who are, who are some players that you're excited to keep an eye on this season? You know, I, I mentioned them earlier. Um, I get, again, I really think people forget Christian Yelich exists. Mm-hmm. You know, he, he won national league MVP, I believe two years ago. Guy is a beast. And just because he had a down year, you can't lower the stock on the brewers. You know, I, I think, I think Yelich is a guy who is a game changer. You saw him struggle um, early on his career at Miami. Yeah. Builds his stock up, gets traded and becomes a, a, a mega superstar. Right. Um, he's going to be fun to watch. And somebody that I think that I think a lot of people are also sleeping on is I really firmly believe that Giancarlo Stanton is going to be ridiculous this year. Hmm. I think he came in healthy. He came hmm. in looking, he, he looks in the best shape he's ever been in and he's a specimen to begin with. Right. Um, just letting him swing the bat in a tiny ballpark, you know, you're guaranteed to have fireworks there. And as long as he could stay on the field, he could, he could be an MVP candidate just from hitting alone. Sure. I'm really looking forward to watching Arenado and see, seeing how he performs yeah. in St. Louis. I mean, I think looking at his statistics the other day, it's like, I always forget that, okay, played in Colorado. So you know, some of these numbers are going to be a little bit skewed. Um, but I still expect him to have a, a good year in St. Louis. Like, I still think that he'll still hit, but maybe not at the level he did in Colorado. Yeah. And, you know, it's tough because, you know, you you look at his road numbers and they were almost as good as his, as his you know, home numbers. Right. Which, of course, any ball player doesn't hit well as well at away as they do at home. It just sure. is what it is. Um, you know, Arenado 
it still amazes me that the Cardinals fumbled, uh, that the Rockies fumbled that trade. Um, they got no one to write home about prospect wise. Um, nobody exciting. And the Cardinals got a top two defensive, uh, top two, top three, third baseman in the game. Um, I think they are kind of taking the route of let's overpower our offense to kind of shield our pitching. Mm-hmm. Um, but the middle of the lineup with him and Goldschmidt, and then you add Yadi Molina, who again is another guy about to 260, 280 as a 40 year old catcher, however old he is now. Right. Um, they, they have a chance to be, they have a chance to be good as long. Listen, as long as it's tough because I'm going to, I sound like a broken record, but as long as their pitching can perform, they'll be fine. Um, I think, you know, just naturally Tatis is always a fun guy to watch and, you know, now coming off that massive contract, you know, he's kind of one of the young faces of the game now. Yeah. Well, you know, MLB, the show cover athlete this year, um, he's a guy you know what's funny it always makes me laugh that all the sons of of major league ball players end up being like the second coming like griffey was one of them uh barry bonds Mm -hmm. uh tatis's dad was a met and was good yeah i mean he had two grand slams in an inning but never really did anything like wasn't an all-star nothing crazy but now tatis tatis is it still amazes me that he was traded for James Shields. Hmm. It just, it blows me away. And, and, and yeah. again, kudos to Preller and the, and the, and the Padres, but not only is, is Tatis going to be good, but that team's going to be good. Yeah. So it's like, they have done everything they've needed to do. Now it's like, you can build around like, yes, Machado's there. And yes, Machado is elite, but it's, it's Tatis's team. Um, so I think looking at like looking ahead, maybe looking at, you know, standings, I think that it's so interesting that we opened talking about the California teams. Cause I think like you could see Padres and Dodgers just kind of trading punches all season long. And I think it'd be awesome if we saw them uh, battle in the playoffs. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, and the one thing that separates the two though, is that you look at the rotation and, and, you know, you look at LA and you have Bauer, Kershaw, Walker Bueller, David Price, um, Tony Gonsolin, Dustin May. I can go down the whole list. They're top to bottom, ridiculous. Um, guys that start a World Series games might not even be in the starting rotation this year. Mm-hmm. Um, where then you go to San Diego and yes, Snell, Darvish, uh, Joe Musgrove. Um, you know, then you go to Chris Paddock, who had a great rookie year, but then kind of fell off towards the end of that year. Mm-hmm. And then last year, and then, you know, insert fifth starter name here. You're waiting for Devinson Lamette to come back from injury. Um, you know, this, they're in a weird spot, but I think just LA has better depth at positions that they need to, um, to take that division. As far as uh, division winners, do you want to look, go through each of the divisions? Yeah, sure. Um, so the Dodgers. Yeah. Um, I just think that they're a more well-rounded team than than the Padres. Yeah, I kind of um, agree too. Yeah, it, it, it's tough there, right? Mm-hmm. Um, the Padres will win a wild card spot. Yeah, um, I also think that too. Yeah, and then I guess Arizona, San Francisco, Colorado, um, in that order. 
all mm-hmm. teams that really aren't going to be able to make much noise in that division. Right. Yeah. Um, NL Central. I'm going to go the Brewers winning only because of how good their pitching is in comparison to uh, St. Louis. St. Louis didn't necessarily address, uh, address that's the word mm-hmm. I needed, um, the bullpen or the rotation, and they're kind of holding on for dear life with what they have. Right. Um, and I think that could hurt them. You know, mm-hmm. the Brewers aren't elite when it comes to rotation and bullpen and right, but they, they have legit pieces. So I think, I think the Brewers take the central. I think I, I honestly picked St. Louis, but I think like there's a possibility that that could go a bunch of different ways Um, that I could see Milwaukee winning the division, St. Louis, you know, I really think that, you know, other than Pittsburgh, it's kind of just like, I don't know. It could, it could go a bunch of different ways. Yeah, I agree. Um, I just believe that this, that, that it's tough because I feel like, and I want your thoughts on this. And you mentioned Pittsburgh. I feel like there should be a salary floor in baseball because they only have three, the the pirates only have $3 million quote unquote guaranteed next year. And that's for an op, a player option. So it potentially couldn't end up being nothing. So it's just like with a team with a, with a, um, with a team that's trying to tank, I guess mm-hmm. um, it's tough, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Tough. I would agree with that too. I think that's definitely something that um, probably needs to be instituted. Yeah. It's, uh, it just, it baffles my mind that, you know, yeah. Manfred, who's a fool, like Goodell level fool um, is okay with this. Like sure. Right. Things are getting better in Miami and Baltimore, but like, yeah. Pittsburgh is one of the more storied franchises in baseball and outside of a couple of years of McCutcheon and, and a couple of playoff appearances, they've been one of the worst teams in the in, in baseball since the late nineties. So to me, it's just ever since Barry Bonds left basically. Yeah. Um, NL East, you know, I think could get very interesting. I still like Atlanta, but I honestly would not be surprised if, you know, the Mets gave them a run. I think the Mets make the playoffs. Yes. Um, so I think Atlanta me, probably wins the division. For me, you know, seeing seeing Atlanta, Philly, Miami, you know, these guys ad nauseum. Um, Atlanta has a lot to worry about with pitching. Um, Soroka coming back from a torn Achilles. Mm-hmm. Um, Charlie Morton being old and having a downish year last year up until the playoffs. Yeah. Um, no real back end of that rotation um, and losing guys in the bullpen. Um, Mark Melanson, who was their big go-to guy last, last year, mm. skipped out to San Diego to be with uh, Red Sox legend, Drew Pomeranz. Um, so they, so they're, they're missing pieces and, mm-hmm. you know, outside of Freeman, first of all, I hate the Braves with a passion. Freddie Freeman's one of the most fun players to watch if you're a baseball guy because he yeah. could just flat out rake. He could just hit. Um, you know, you have Freeman, Acuna, Albies. You're relying on, you know, prospects in the outfield in, in Pache. And Marcelo Zuna can hit the cover off the ball, but I, I firmly believe I could play a better left field blindfolded than Marcelo Zuna. Um, 
just he's not again he's one of those guys that they would have benefited from having a a, a universal dh um it's it's tough because you know the mets always had you know degrom and then eh, or degrom and Syndergaard, then so so like porcello and waka were your back end starters last year mm-hmm. where this year you have degrom you have Syndergaard, who we'll talk about coming back you have Carlos Carrasco, who's hurt, but people say he's just a fill-in. The guy was a, is a beast and beat leukemia. Um, Marcus Stroman, who is my boy, love Stroman. Um, David Peterson, who was a great lefty last year, and they have they have pitching. Mm-hmm. Um, the biggest question with the Mets is their bullpen. Mm-hmm. You know, you have an offensive, you have a uh, an amazing, an amazing lineup, the deepest it's been since probably 2015. Um, it's going to come down to late in games because when Seth Lou goes out, you got to see if Diaz can close games. Um, it's a toss up. I'll go Atlanta. So I don't sound like a Homer. Um, yeah. But I, I, I definitely think that the Mets have the opportunity to win that division. I yeah. think, I think them and Atlanta will win at least 90 games. Yeah. I think, you know, you mentioned some of the issues Atlanta's got, and I think like probably won't be enough to like have them not be a playoff team, but you know, that's something that definitely could hurt them, you know, yeah. in the in playoff time if you're yeah. not deep enough in the bullpen. It's tough. It's yeah. it's definitely tough because if you don't address those needs, right? Like, sure, sure, the Mets missed, Mets, Mets missed out on Bauer, right? Right. You got Carrasco in the trade. You got Stroman back on a qualifying offer. You know, you went out and got good low-end rotation pieces, depth pieces, Um you know, you brought in a catcher that you needed long-term. Um, you traded for freaking Francisco Lindor. Um, and, and, and you have Alonzo McNeil, you know, guys that you know what you're getting. And as long as the bullpen can stay safe, I'm cautiously optimistic that if they get off to a good start, they'll be fine. Mm-hmm. So moving to the American League, who do you like in the West? So I'm going to go the Astros begrudgingly. Yeah. Um, just again, going back to what we were talking about is that they, they, that whole division did not address their needs. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, Seattle's rebuilding. Right. Um, LA doesn't have pitching like we said. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you have Oakland who are just, you know, listen, I hate Jed Lowry for what he did to the Mets the last two years, but now he's playing second base every day for him. Yeah. So it's like you're relying on a 37-year-old to come out and play second base for you every day mm-hmm. with one leg. So it's like they didn't address much, and, and the, the pieces are still there for Houston. The bigger guys that, yeah. you need, that you need if they perform will be fine. I think yeah. if they lost Brantley, I could go open. But put, at least getting Brantley back, even though they lost Springer, I think is big. Yeah. Yeah, I think, you know, I put Oakland to win the division, but – I kind of think Houston will, but like, I think I'll probably go back and forth on that. Yeah. It's such uh, a weird division because yeah. these guys just, you never know what you're getting from Oakland. Um, right. Because every year you're like, you look at this rotation, you're like, Jesus, they're terrible. Then Mike fires will go win 13 games. It just, yeah, doesn't, right. it just doesn't make sense. You know, it, it's tough. It's tough. But again, it, it's just, it's the angels MO at this point, you know, don't bring in pitching. And if you bring in two stars and two decent relievers, you're, you're, you're a contender. Mm -hmm. just doesn't make sense. 
so um, AL Central, I think, also could get very interesting. Like, I think Chicago and Minnesota are two teams that could certainly go to the playoffs, you know. And then the Royals, we talked about, that they're a team that could surprise. I'm a big Kansas City guy. I don't know why. I'm not taking them to win the division or even make the playoffs. But, you know, I like the moves that they made bringing in Benintendi. Um, I think a change of scenery. I I firmly believe that Benintendi is one of those players that, similar to like, who can I compare? A.J. Burnett, like a guy that performed his – tail off with the blue jays and the marlins and the uh pirates and phillies but then you go to new york and you don't know what you're doing Mm -hmm. um i think benny could be a a small market player and that's fine um i think having you know protecting him in that lineup with uh jorge soler um whit merrifield who could win a batting title Mm -hmm. um they're so young it just they're a team that you can go okay they lost 88 games, but damn, they're fun to watch. Mm. You know, they, 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 they have the opportunity to be good. But I think it's going to be um, Chicago. I think if, 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 you know, Jose Abreu can do what he did last year and that rotation comes back, that's a damn good starting rotation. And mm. they have one of the best uh, farm systems in baseball. So they, they, they have the opportunity to be good for a while. Yeah. Yeah, I definitely like them in the central. Um in the East, I mean, I think it's the Yankees' division to lose. I really yes. don't think that there's anyone that challenges them, you know. And I know that, obviously, you know, me being, you know, doing a Boston sports podcast, <laughs> you know, want to talk up the Red Sox. But I think, like, you got – we got to be I – think, I think people as Red Sox fans got to be realistic about what the season looks like. I agree. I agree. Um, what, what, what comes to – we'll talk about the Sox. Um, right kind of outlook in a little bit but yeah i i'm taking i was teeter-tottering on the the uh blue jays and the yankees but then george springer got hurt and kirby yates is out for the year and that made my decision a lot easier to pick the yankees but the yankees are kind of pulling a mets with their rotation Hmm. like you have your guy right in in cole but then you go Tyler Glasnow, who has thrown a handful of innings in, over the last couple of years. Uh, Corey Kluber, who's a guy, another guy who was arguably the best pitcher in the game um, a couple of years ago, has thrown a combined like 20 innings over the last two years. Mm-hmm. Um, so you're kind of relying on, on, on a pitching staff that you don't necessarily know what you're getting. You know, you right now you have, Garrett Cole, Corey Kluber, Jamison Tyon, um, Jordan Montgomery, Michael King, BC product, Michael King, and uh, Domingo Herman, who's coming off of his suspension. Um, so it's a lot of what ifs, but I definitely think just, you know, the Yankees offense is just absurd. Even with Gary Sanchez catching, it's, it's, it's an absurd, you know, Aaron Judge, Glaber Torres, Giancarlo Stanton, Gio right. Rochella. I can go, I could, go till I'm blue in the face but this this team's gonna this the Yankees offense is damn good damn good yeah so going back to going back to Kluber 36 innings yeah 30 36 and two-thirds innings over the last two years and I believe he threw six of those last year <laughs> yeah yeah so yeah I think that's definitely a good point that you know again I don't think that you know, that necessarily hurts the Yankees in the regular season, you know, they'll still be able to hit 
Um, but then it's like once the playoffs come, you know, what do you right. get? What are you going to get? I mean, I, I've I've listened to Yankee fans, and 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 what hurts them is missing Severino this year, at least for most of the year with his Tommy John. Sure. Um, but what what, what kind of screws the the Yankees is that you know. I've always heard Yankee fans complain, whether it was, oh, James Paxton, oh, J.A. Happ, oh, Tanaka's getting old. Um, but I guarantee you that they miss them right now. Guarantee it. Mm-hmm. But then again, they addressed their bullpen. I love that. I'm a sucker for sidearm guys. Yeah. And I love Darren O'Day. I wish the Mets had brought him in the last mm-hmm. every, every year he's been a free agent. I'm like, I want Darren O'Day. Yeah. And, and he goes to the Yankees. You know, the Yankees are, are, giving Clint Frazier a chance to play um, in left, which I think is big. Um, Jay Bruce is starting at first base for them with void out. Jay Bruce and Yankee stadium can make a lot of money uh, with, with, um, with just homers in that small ballpark. So Definitely. the Yankees have the opportunity to be really, really good. Um, so then as far as, as far as playoffs, is there a team that you like to win the world series? Just, you know, day before the season, just feeling it. If I don't say the Dodgers, I'd be crazy, right? It's yeah, just, pro- probably. The Do- yeah. The Dodgers are just, again, you have two top 10 outfielders in the game in the same outfield. It's just with Betts and Bellinger. Yeah. It's absurd. And and you go around that. You could field an all-star team with seven, six or seven of their position players, realistically. Like, that's how good they are. Yeah. Um, as long as Bauer doesn't go back to what Bauer was three years ago, two years mm-hmm. ago, um, which he's a fiasco to begin with. And I'm not sour that we didn't get him. It is what it is. Mm-hmm. Um, I firmly believe that, um, that they are just a juggernaut. They could, they could win a, at least a hundred games. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't be shocked if they go one Oh five, one ten. Yeah. I, yeah, I would not be surprised to see that either. Yeah. Um, you know, I'm going to go out on a limb and say something crazy happens. Like the Padres beat them in the playoffs and, you know, something crazy happens. You know, I think there's me as being like, maybe not, you know, I guess I would classify myself as like more of a casual baseball fan, but I think like, I want to see different teams go deep. I want to see like the White Sox make a world series run. And that'd be awesome. I mean, you know, it, it, it's just so tough when you have this freaking, mega power that is the freaking dodgers right um it's like the yankees in the late 90s yeah um you know you just know you know what i mean like or at least you think you know unless everybody gets hurt and everybody underperforms right you know, it's just absurd it's crazy yeah i think you know dodgers probably win again i would not be surprised but you know i picked atlanta that's probably gonna end sure. up being so wrong but you know what the heck we'll see that's that's what's fun about making these predictions that's wrong to me i can tell you that oh uh, yeah no i'm <laughs> happy camper um so i think i'd like to delve into the mets so sure um i wanted to do this question for the mets and the red Sox. you know i'll probably answer the red Sox one but for the mets for the for their seasons this season what what's their ceiling what's their basement and then what's like the most realistic season so I think, have. I think basement. I think you're a second wild card team. Okay, I think okay. you're. Yeah, I, I, I think, mm-hmm. I think that their bullpen can hurt them. That's going to be their Achilles heel, similar to 2006, um, when they lost in the NL championship. Um, 
they have the ability to be very good mm-hmm. as long as the bullpen performs. So that's mm-hmm. their basement. Um, now their ceiling. I mean, the sky's the limit for this team. Sure. Um, they addressed everything they needed to address for the most part. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm a guy that usually has unrealistic expectations for all my teams, mm-hmm. you know, whether it's the Giants, the Knicks, the Rangers, or the Mets. Um, yeah. I, I think they can win 95 to 100 games. I think I don't know if that's unrealistic, but yeah. with an offense with an offense like that and in a rotation that you're getting two of the better starters in baseball back, mm-hmm. not not saying top tier, but two very very good major league pitchers. Sure, um, you're getting them back one in May and maybe one in June probably. Mm-hmm. You know, you have the opportunity to be damn good. So I I, I think 95 to 100 wins in, mm-hmm. in the division. All right. I'm not going to sit here and say World Series because, yeah, sure, right. You know what I mean. But when it comes to regular season, I think 95 is reasonable. I mean, 2015 they won 92 games and they weren't anything I, until August really when the Mets when they got Cespedes. So it's like right. they have the ability to be. This is a team that you look at similar to the Dodgers, right? And you're like, okay, go play now. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's similar to that. And then, what do you think is like their most realistic? season like what do you think that looks like 2015 90 to 95 okay um again it was a, it was a that was the year of Papelbon and 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 Harper fighting in the dugout with right. Washington um Atlanta wasn't what they are mm-hmm. um so and that was during the thing of oh the Nationals can't make it out of the first round but they're always picked to go deep um so the division wasn't you know what it is but Philly's decent I think they're the best 500 team in baseball. Um, Atlanta's Atlanta, and then the Mets are the, – the NL East could be tough. The NL East could be a tough division this year. Um, so I think you'd briefly mentioned Syndergaard, and that was something I wanted to talk about. What's the timeline for him, like, right now? So I know that he had had – he had Tommy John, right? Yeah. And it um, was like a year ago, right? Pre-shutdown. Pre gotcha. Um Pre-COVID, uh, of course, we got that news, and we're sitting there going, of course, the Mets, yeah. right? Um, console right there. Um, and they added, you know, the, 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 he's been rehabbing well. Okay. Um, he threw a simulated game last week and was throwing 97 off the mound. Mm-hmm. Um, so he's progressing. I mean, he, start, he, he started, at, you know, when around when spring training games started, um, he started throwing breaking balls and bullpens and nothing in you know real games or anything, but mm-hmm. he's been progressing to the point where it's like okay, June could turn into the middle of May. Um, there's going to be the rehab process there. Um, he'll have to go pitch in Brooklyn, I think. I think he's going to kind of stay in Florida for now maybe and then pitch for Port St. Lucie and then go pitch in Brooklyn. Mm-hmm. Um, but the minor league season is delayed. So it, it, it's going to be, again, COVID's kind of making timelines an issue. Does sure. that make sense? Yeah, uh, no, definitely. So, so it's, it's to me with all signs pointing to how he's been progressing through spring training, um, he could end up, I think, middle to late may earliest Hmm. and then early middle of june nothing before july Uh, nothing past july um at the latest in my opinion but again setbacks happen yeah um 
a couple of who are like a couple of Mets players that you're looking forward to watching this season? So, I, you know, I think everybody's expecting me to say Lindor and yeah. Pete Alonzo, but um, Jeff McNeil's so fun to watch, man. You know, as, 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 a, as a baseball nut, you know, this guy's at these guys that, you know, he steps to the plate and he's going to bat you 300. Um, can play mostly the entire infield, um, can play the outfield, play great corner outfield spots last year. Mm-hmm. Um, he's going to be a guy that is just like, he, it, it's, it's funny to me because last year he led off, he batted second. This year with Lindor coming back and Nimmo being their basically their leadoff hitter, um, he's batting sixth. And to let him follow the, the those power bats, he's going to be fun. And uh, Dom Smith, man, listen, I – 2018 my ship sailed on this guy he was overweight um they brought in adrian gonzalez to compete with him for the starting spot and agon took it that year um we saw how that turned out um barely anybody remembers the adrian gonzalez mets era Mm -hmm. um but dom smith is has transitioned his game to where he's a gap to gap hitter can hit the long ball and can actually play a decent little left field now i'm not saying he's ken griffey jr but he could play the outfield you know he's He's going to be a key guy to this team that, you know, if Alonzo's not playing well, they're going to need Dom Smith to pick them, pick them up. You know what I mean? So those are my two guys outside of, you know, the Confortos, the, the Lindors and the Alonzos of the world. Yeah. Um, so now kind of turning over to the Red Sox. Um, so, you know, I feel like very similar to Syndergaard's sale is kind of under a similar kind of, you know, timeline, you know, sale might return sooner, but honestly, like I have no idea. Yeah. Um, it's, it's again, timelines are so skewed now Yeah, with, with everything going on. And, and if the minor leagues weren't delayed at least a month, yeah. um, they, it, it'd be a little clearer in a sense, because, sure. you know, usually what happens is, is that, you know, say sale, right. He'll stay in, in um, Fort Myers and, play for their low a team or whoever's down there yeah or extended spring training then yeah go to double a and mm-hmm. then play there and right. then then come up and then you're on an innings limit and a pitch limit um but with everything this year they'll probably just do everything at the alternate site so who really knows when when he returns or if he returns this season what what would you expect from him um see it's so tough because everybody looks at, Oh my God, Tommy John, Tommy John, right. Tommy John and torn ACLs would become like straight sprained ankles and, 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 you know, twisted and twisted knees where oh, it's, it's become, totally. so, it's become so common to the point now where it's okay. It's a long recovery, but it's easy to bounce back from like sure. Steven Strasburg, um, Matt Harvey in 15, mm-hmm. you know, where, where guys come back and it's, they're still throwing a hundred, you know what I mean? Like they're still, they're still who they were. Mm-hmm. Um, but when it comes to sale, it's a little different because he's, he's not as much of a power pitcher as he is touchy feely. If that makes sense, you know, mm-hmm. a lot of sliders, change-ups, off speed right. stuff. Um, the biggest thing is him getting a feel because the fastball is always, always going to be there. Mm-hmm. Um, getting the feel of his secondary pitches you know, the, the change-ups, the sliders, the curveballs, getting a feel of those. If you can get a feel of those quick, we could see Chris Sale like he was. Um, but for a pitcher like Sale, that's not necessarily a guy that's going out there and throwing 102. 
um, you're looking you're looking for secondary pitches more than you are your fastball. Mm-hmm. If you can get a feel of those coming back, then then he'll be fine. Yeah, I think you know for me in a perfect world, you know he can come back and you know kind of give that rotation a lift. You know, assuming that they are still relatively in somewhat of contention if he comes back in right. in July or at some point. Um, if I'm if I'm the Sox with him, I I say all right, you come back in June, you have 180 innings. Yeah, go do what you want to do with them. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? Or not even July because you won't throw that many innings. Right. You have 120 innings. Do as you may. Mm-hmm. You know if we have to, if we're in contention and we need to skip a start for you or right. even go over. We've seen it with um, Harvey and Strasburg. I'll use them as examples again. You know yeah. the Mets were in contention in 15. That was the year he came back from Tommy John and mm-hmm. the, him and him and Boris said, listen, I'm fine. Let me go over and, and pitch in playoffs and pitch, you know, pitch to who I am. Yeah. So it all depends on where the socks are. Um, but I definitely think you're going to see sale consistently come June, July, August. Yeah. yeah. I think I'm, you know, very curious about where they're going to be at that point, you know, that if they, you know, are totally out of it, you know, does that change anything? Probably not, but right. You know, I think that that that's going to be interesting. Um, I think as far as for me looking at what their season is going to be, I've, you know, talked to one of my friends yesterday and, you know, I mentioned, you know, I think that their ceiling is about 90 wins and maybe get a wild card spot, you know, that that's the absolute perfect world scenario. My friend is Mm -hmm. like, Oh, you know, that should be, you know, the starting point. I'm like, I don't know. I feel like there's some people that have a skewed view of this team right now that like, okay, this team, you know, has to be unbelievable. But I mean, I think that's the Boston thing that comes into it where it's like, right. you have to compete for championships or else, you know, what the hell's the point? What's what, what is, what is Boston then? You know yes. I mean? Like it, it's, it's so yeah. tough because when it, when you think of Boston, you think of spending, right. Whether right. it's, you know, yeah. contracts that work out, Chris sale, mm-hmm. um, Koji or contracts that don't work out Pablo uh, Hanley Ramirez right you know guys that you look at but you always think of money and Hein Bloom is not a money guy right never has been yeah Um, he's Tampa Bay and look at what Tampa Bay is right Um, I think Tampa I think the Red Sox fans need to just sit back and kind of accept that this year might be tough yeah Um, and just say all right you know, let's embrace a new type of baseball, right? right? New, a new, a new atmosphere, a new, yeah. a new, um, a new culture, you know, a new, a, a different, it's not smash mouth, you know, Manny time, big poppy. It's, it's right. a little different now. And I think that's okay. Yeah. You know, I think like a lot of people, you know, go into it and be like, oh, okay, you know, they were bad last year. They're going to be, you know, so much better. And it's like, well, you know, think things have changed, you know, the way that the team is run is different. And, you know, I understand that that might be frustrating for some fans and some members of the media that think that they've turned into the Tampa Bay Rays, but it's like, well, you know, that kind of worked for Tampa Bay. You exactly. Know, the they put but it's there. not, Tampa's not a market. Right. You know, that's the, that's the thing is that Tampa's not a market that you look at and you say, oh my God, baseball. Right. If anything, you think of hockey. Right. You know? So it's like, it's it's tough, but you know there there's 
there's some exciting players on this roster. Yeah. You know, just looking at it mm-hmm. that have the ability to be like, you know, you have JD who's your, who's your, you know, your big bat there. Right. Um, I think people overlook Franchi Cordero who oh, totally. I've seen, who I've seen hit some of the hardest baseballs I've ever seen in my life um, mm-hmm. when he was with Kansas city. And then, you know, you have Bogarts, you have Devers. Um, I, I, I think that if all goes right, and again, this pitching staff is a big what if because Erod's out with dead arm. Mm-hmm. Um, who knows what Evaldi's going to be? Right. And you're waiting on sale. So, you know, you're relying on guys like Garrett Richards and, mm-hmm. you know, guys that you don't necessarily know, you know, Nick Pavetta, Matt, Matt Andresi. It's going to be tough pitching wise, but if the pitching is there, they should mm-hmm. just be, be, they have the potential to be just fine. Yeah. Um, you know, I think as far as, you know, basement, you know, it kind of starts with the pitching, you know, like if there start to be more arm issues with Erod and they have to, you know, throw in a bunch of guys in the starting rotation, bullpen gets taxed, you know, kind of like it did last year. Like I think worst case scenario, you're probably looking at a team that maybe loses 90 games or a little bit under Right. Um, that that's a worst case scenario. Um, I think for me, realistically, I think that they can win somewhere in the mid eighties. Yeah, eighty-five. You know, I think that that's I think a realistic. Yeah, I think that that's a realistic, you know, win total to look at. You know, I think it's again, I think it's hard for some people to come to the realization that you know this is not a playoff team. This is not a team that's going to be able to compete with the Yankees. You right. know that it's like okay, we're going to go through another year where it's going to be challenging. You know, so. 85 wins can win your fourth place in the East. Absolutely. Know? Well, right. Exactly. If, if all three of those team, other teams, you know, Tampa, Toronto, and the Yankees, if they all play the way that they usually do, yeah. you know, great. We're seeing improvement, which mm-hmm. is, which is, I think the key thing for this team. Right. But it's still not what the end result is, what people are going to want. Right. So it's like you, you, you have, 85 wins which is a good building block but people are going to be sitting there and going oh my god it's not boston baseball right um and i think personally as a guy that doesn't do the whole cheating thing i'm shocked Cora's back um but i definitely think i'm i definitely believe that he could be a guy to help them i I like Cora as a coach um as long as he does the right thing right um from this point forward there's going to be a magnifying glass on him oh totally Um, I, I think he has the ability to help turn this team into a competitor as time goes on. Yeah. I think, you know, as far as guys to watch, like I think you mentioned JD Martinez, you know, I think I'll be curious to see how he bounces back this year. I would think that he would, you know, I don't really think there's any reason to believe that he'll hit, you know, two thirteen again or whatever it was right. last year. Last year. Listen, like I said, Pete Alonso at two Oh eight. Right. He was on track to hit 45 home runs and still drive in 100 plus RBIs. Right. So it's like you can't judge last year yeah. um, based on, you know, you can't judge this year based on last year. If, you know, which usually is the big thing to do, but this year it's hard. Right. You know, track record. I think, I think that's what's most important. Yeah. Um, Verdugo is also a guy I'm interested. You know, I, I know that a lot of people, there are some people, you know, I think that don't think losing Jackie Bradley is a big deal, but I think your outfield defense is going to suffer. You know, I don't know if it's going to be significantly. It might, but it's like, you know, I read something in the globe today. I forget who it was, but 
you know, that we're so used to seeing Betts and Bradley in the outfield and, you know, they feel like they can cover half the, you know, two thirds of the outfield, but it's like, it's probably going to regress a little bit, but I'm curious to see how he does this season Verdugo. I am such a big Verdugo guy. I was when he was coming through the ranks in LA. And when I heard that he was, that he came over in the trade for uh, Mookie, right? Right. Um, I I was thrilled for Red Sox fans. Um, Verdugo is someone I say, I I call Manny light in a sense that, you know, he's not saying dumb things or, Mm -hmm. or um, juicing, Uh, (laughs) but he's a guy that is exciting to watch. Mm -hmm. Um, It's like lighting a rocket under him. Um, is an exciting player and is a young player. You know, he, he he's still only twenty something, mm-hmm. so he has the opportunity to be a building block for the for the uh, Sox. I'm a big proponent. If Verdugo goes, the team goes, in my opinion. You you know what you're getting from Bogarts and Devers. Um, right. I think you need to see some progression with with Bogarts for hitting for average. Yeah. Um, but again, the hell is he twenty five? You know, so it's like the, the it's not that they're rebuilding; they're retooling, and, I, and that might take a couple of years. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. I feel like, you know, rebuilding is, is a scary word to use around yeah. here. Exactly. This isn't Baltimore. This isn't Miami. You know what I mean? I mean, geez, you saw what happened when the Patriots won seven games last year. Rebuilding. Yeah. Now they sign everybody and their brother in New England's set ablaze. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but it's just like, yikes, you know, they, they, they win seven games last year and it's like, this is like the worst thing in the world. And it's like, if you've looked at other teams in the NFL, you know, it can get a lot worse than that. Listen, the Giants won six and 10 and almost won the division. Yeah. like So, so I wouldn't be flipping out if I was a Patriot fan. <laughs> but, but getting back to the Red Sox and some pitchers that I'm excited to watch this season. Um, Tanner Houck was really good at the end of the year last year. Very curious to see what the season looks like for him. You know, I think he very well, I think he will start the season in the rotation because oh, Erod's yeah. not available. Yep. Um, but I'm curious about him. You know, Richards is someone that, you know, everyone's been talking about, you know, the spin like rate Kluber, and all man. that. He's like Kluber. Stay healthy, dude. Right. Stay healthy. He was yeah. an all-star. Just stay healthy. Um, Ottavino is also going to be interesting, I think, as well. I'm, you know, I love Adam Ottavino when he was a free agent. I'm like, oh, he's from Jersey. You know, yeah. sign them. You know, the Mets are always, oh, he was a Mets fan growing up. Todd Frazier grew up in New Jersey, yeah. Tom's River. Um, I wanted the Mets to sign Ottavino um, before he went to the Yankees uh, when he mm-hmm. left Colorado. And getting Ottavino, I think, you know, there's, you know, if they're competing, if the, if the Sox are competing, you hold on to him. Definitely. Come deadline, you're out of contention. He's proven yeah. he could be a closer. Mm-hmm. The team needs a reliever. You can get a premium for him. You know, look at what Brad Hand got the got the uh, the Indians got he got him a boatload. So yeah. similar similar to that with them, where okay, you know, you have a ticket here in Ottavino where if you're competing, that's your guy. And yeah. if you're not, you'll get a pretty penny for him. Good. Well, uh, anything anything else you wanted to you wanted to talk about? No, I'll cheap plug my stuff. Um, at Eric underscore belly 21 on Twitter. Um, I'm writing for elite sports, New York now, um, fun website. Um, I'm one of their head, be, uh, head met guys there. I'm actually working on a piece when we hang up, 
Um, so it's going to be exciting. Uh, I'll have series recaps. I'm working with another writer um, every other series. So it, it's, it's going to be fun. Um, Good stuff. This 162 is going to be fun, and I'm looking forward to it. And come All-Star break and trade deadline, I'll be your resident baseball guy. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> All right, well – uh good talking to you eric and we will definitely uh catch up with you again so once again we'd like to thank eric bellier for coming on this week's podcast uh really great conversation uh really excited for opening day so everyone go enjoy the games uh and yeah enjoy enjoy opening day it is finally here so for um eric bellier I've been Garrett Hayden on this week's episode of Not Your Average Boston Sports Podcast. As always, you can follow us on Twitter and on Facebook, where you can listen on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Everyone have a great week.